we are in a massive series through the Gospel of John, and we're in a series within that series called the Apprenticeship Masterclass. Jesus, it's the night before he's crucified. Uh, Judas has betrayed him and left the building, so it's Jesus and his 11. And he's washed their feet in the upper room, and now they're likely on a walk to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will pray and be arrested. And he's giving this epic teaching, this last words, in a sense, from Jesus before he is arrested, tried, and crucified. And so we are in John chapter uh, 15, starting in verse 17, and we'll be reading to chapter 16, verse 4 together. So if you have a pew Bible, it's on page 902, if you're new to the Bible, 902. John chapter 15, verse 17, this is the word of the Lord. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Everything we've been talking about for the last two weeks. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Jesus says to his disciples, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. It's the second time Jesus has said this just in this sermon. The first was when he washed their feet. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know, we've talked about this in John 7 and 8, they do not know him, the Father, who sent me, the Son. If I had not come and spoken to them, this is Israel, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works, right, the miracles, the signs that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. That's Psalm 35 and Psalm 69, the words of King David. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, who's that? Holy Spirit, good, God the Spirit. And the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who proceeds from the Father. He, the Holy Spirit, will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, you 11, because you have been with me from the beginning. Chapter 16, why is he saying all of this? I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. He wants them to bear faithful witness, not fall away. Verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father, nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Heavenly Father, would this word remind us of our union with your Son, Jesus? Would this word teach us to abide in your son Jesus and in his love? Would this word prompt us to loving obedience to your son Jesus? And would this word, by your spirit's power, further transform us 
into the image of your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. Amen, you may be seated. Two questions this morning. Do you remember June 2020? You're like, I don't want to remember June 2020. (laughs) Sorry, I'm going to remind you of June 2020. Um, I remember here at the church, that was when we were finally able to start regathering in person. But we couldn't do so inside, we had to do so outside in the gathering place. Uh, And then we're about to to meet, and then there was lightning. (laughs) There was lightning in California in June, you know? And so then we had to cancel service and go back to just online and then you know the <laughs> as pastors we're like trying to be like amateur experts of you know smoke advisory warnings and like forecast can we meet this sunday or not and then we we you know we're already trying to figure out what covid is and then we then we meet and the sky's orange and there's ash falling from the sky and we're in the apocalyptic book of Daniel planned a year before and we're like, is this the end? Like, it's the, you know, crazy times. And if you, if you remember, it was early June when George Floyd was killed and everything blew up socially, right? Um, and then there were protests and there were counter protests and there were riots and there was like property damage to members of our congregation who own businesses. And there was just so much fear in the air. You know, like I remember there's these like fear-mongery Facebook and Twitter posts, like they're coming for the suburbs next. You know, it was just, people were anxious. And you remember that slogan from lockdown, we're all in this together, right? By June, that was no longer the case, you know? Like that had unraveled in a hurry. Um, and, and just, we had so many questions at every level. I mean, people were, were wondering, will I ever get, ba- get to go back to work? I want to go cut hair or whatever. Will I get to go back to work and provide for my family? Or um, some people were working from home and they were like, this is great. <laughs> Do I have to go back to work, you know? Other people, are my kids going to get to go back to school? Because this thing just keeps going on. And others, are, are my kid going to have to wear a mask when they go to school? Or are other kids not going to be wearing masks when I go to school? Are we ever going to get a vaccine? Is that going to be years away? Wait a minute, are they going to make me get a vaccine? Right? There's questions all over. It's like, is my best friend a racist? Is my pastor a Marxist? You know? Is my relative going to die? Like, am I ever going to get to see my grandchildren? Just so many questions, so much fear, so much hate, so much anger. Oh yeah, and by the way, you might forget, we were in an election year. <laughs> an election year more contentious than anything since like Jefferson Adams in 1796 okay like we lived through that together you guys like what a thing that we lived through you remember that just the hatred like the palpable hatred like you you'd be like oh, I think I'll go on social media next like two seconds later you're you're feeling pressured to respond and like bombarded with so much right and just the fear in the air and it was like this sense of betrayal, too, that so many of us were feeling, like, you know, I thought I knew my best friend, you know, or my my family member, my fellow believer sees things appallingly different than me. It's shocking, right, how much we were being formed online and apart from one another, and and there was just this fear that, like, wait, is this just going to keep getting worse? Like, is this going to keep unraveling? Maybe what's holding our society together is more fragile than we, than we realized, so much hate, so much fear. Do you remember that feeling? Do you remember the love, though, too? 
like how much brighter love would burn in June 2020. I remember a good friend of mine, member of the church, Stephanie Marshall, showed up. This was like the height of lockdown, and she came like social distance to deliver cookies to us, like put them in the grass, you know, like far away. And just seeing her in the flesh, like I hadn't, you know, you took, take advantage, like you just, you know, it took for granted that you'd see them every Sunday and see them all the time, but then it had been months, and it was like instantly choked up, and I don't, I don't cry <laughs> very often, right? Just seeing her, someone showing the love of Christ to my family. I remember like my, my high school friends, we did a Zoom call, which we could have done any time in 15 years, but never had, you know? But it's just things like that. And I remember my favorite moment of 2020 was months later, it's now freezing cold, and it was raining, and we had to meet uh, outside again, we're like, what do we do? And we met in the parking garage, like our parking garage, and it was gloomy out there, right? And like, there was grumbling, it was freezing cold, but I had the most palpable sense of just the glory of God. Like, we're there together in adverse conditions, singing hymns together. Like, when, I mean, Pleasanton. I've been on mission trips and seen people gathering in adverse conditions. I don't know if I'll ever see that again. Something that beautiful that we got to see then. So you remember the hate, the fear, the love, the feelings of 2020. One more question. Do you realize that was just the beginning? Do you realize that was just the beginning? Do you realize 2024 is coming? <laughs> Do you remember how hard it was? Like, I mean, as a leader of this community, like keeping this community together through all that, like remembering our job is to love one another as family despite what comes, like how hard it was just to love one another and assume the best of one another through all that. Do you realize it's, it's just the beginning? Like it's going to get harder? Like lots of stuff has been revealed. Very little has been healed. Do you realize that? Like 2022 is crazy. It's not that crazy. It's just the beginning. Who's encouraged right now? Anyone love this message so far? One hand. Thank you, Michelle. Great. Uh, I'm not trying to encourage you yet, okay? That part is coming, okay? And this isn't just random. In our text today, Jesus and his apprentices have been through a lot in three years. And it's the night before he's going to be killed. And the disciples cannot imagine what is coming. They can't imagine it. Jesus is preparing his apprentices for how hard things are about to get. And he says it explicitly, chapter 16, verse 1, so that you will not fall away when it happens. He wants them to be faithful apprentices, and it's going to get really hard. They can't imagine it, so he wants them to remember his word tonight. But let's get caught up, okay? So verse 17, this is where Pastor Jake left off two weeks ago. Jesus said, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Love. This is the Greek. Remember, there's multiple uh, words in Greek for love. This is agape, okay? That you will agape love one another. Agape is the love that God has for God, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The love that God has for us. We've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. It's, it's the kind of love that, that desires and then seeks the best for another, even at great cost to yourself. That's agape love. And Jesus, at the beginning of the apprenticeship master class, he does the slave's job. You remember that? He shocks his disciples and he gets down 
strips, puts a towel around his waist, and begins to wash his apprentice's feet. And they're shocked by this. And then Jesus says something even more shocking, do likewise. Do likewise. I've given you an example. This is what it looks like to love one another. Get off your high horse and wash one another's feet. This is how the world is going to know that you belong to me. It's by your love for one another. That's how the world is going to know that you're mine. This is what I want you to prioritize. This is the fundamental thing that following Jesus is about. The fundamental practice of apprenticeship to Jesus is loving one another in this way. And Jake highlighted two things. One, that Jesus positioned his life to love his disciples in this way. He positioned his life to prioritize his relationship with his apprentices, to prioritize time with them. Right? He, in a sense, Jesus laid down his life for his friends before he actually literally laid down his life on the cross. Right? He, he made great sacrifices just to spend hours and upon hours upon hours with his disciples and field their questions and just be with them. Mark says that's why he called them, that they might be with him and then he might send them out to preach. So Jesus prioritized spending time with his disciples until it was time to send them out and preach the gospel. And so two, second thing Jake said, as apprentices of Jesus, we position our lives for love. We position our lives for love. That's what we do. We make costly decisions to prioritize spending time with one another. We make costly decisions to be here at church. Maybe it's sacrificing your kid getting a little bit better at soccer, okay? So you can be here with your brothers and sisters in Christ, being part of a comm group, visiting the sick. We make costly decisions to prioritize our life together to be with one another. It's so practical Like dads, what does it mean to love your kids? We should have a real clear answer to that. What does it mean to love your kids? It means prioritizing intentional time with them until it's time to send them out. That's what it means. Prioritizing intentional time with them until it's time to send them. How many of us husbands and dads have said something like this? Has this come out of our mouth? What do you mean I don't love you? What do you mean you don't feel loved by me? Do you see how hard I work to provide for this family? Don't say that. Such a trap. Don't say that. I I was doing marriage counseling for a couple good friends of mine, and the the wife said something very funny. She said, that's kind of like me saying, uh, we don't need to be intimate together. I did the dishes tonight. What? Like, those are different things, right? Okay? Our hard work and our sacrifice, right, in our job, it can actually be the thing that blinds us to the fact that that hard work, that sacrifice has actually become for us because that's where we get more validation and it's actually easier. It's actually easier. Right, some of us, we do one more Zoom call while our wife bathes our little kids. Get in there, wash some feet, man. That's our job, okay? Right? We got one hour with our kids and we're scrolling ESPN and Reddit. What are we doing? It's not positioning your life for love. Love means making sacrifices to be truly with one another. That's what Jesus did for his disciples. That's what we do for one another. Uh, Pastor Rick Warren, who famously, uh, or he's famous, (laughs) he retired recently, and he has this great quote that's always stuck with me. He said, the best use of life is love. The best expression of love is time, and the best time to love is now. Love one another 
be with one another. But that's not all. Let's go back to verse 17. Jesus says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. There's something even more fundamental than loving one another. What could be more fundamental than loving one another? What does he command us to do in chapter 15? Jesus, uh, Heath, not Jesus, ah, <laughs> Jesus through Heath, preached it last week. Abide, abide in him. Abide in him. Be with Jesus. Jesus commands us to abide in him like a branch abides in a vine. He says, apart from him, we can do nothing. We can do nothing unless you slow down your life, unless you prune your priorities to be with Jesus, to prioritize meditating on God's word, praying unceasingly, listening for his voice, silence, solitude, stillness. You might be busy, but you ain't doing nothing of eternal consequence. You're not doing anything, right? Branches don't hurry. They don't, you know? And if you're hurrying, you're not abiding. If you're not abiding, you're not listening. If you're not listening, you're not loving. And if you're not loving, you're not imaging, you're not becoming like Jesus, you're becoming like the other guy, okay? This is why Carl Jung said, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil, right? Hurry has us reacting, not responding in love. We need to abide. It's even more foundational. So we might say it this way, positioning your life for love, which is our job to love one another, begins with prioritizing time with Jesus. These are the fundamentals of apprenticeship to Jesus. Be with Jesus be with one another, make costly sacrifices to do that. And I'm repeating this over and over again because that's what you do with the fundamentals, right? You repeat them over and over and over again. That's why greatness is sometimes boring, right? It's like Tim Duncan, okay? He's a basketball player, if you don't know, and he was, he was great. They called him the big fundamental. He just did the same thing over and over and over again. Sometimes great church looks like boring church because we don't have the eyes to see it. Jesus doesn't have eyes for here today, gone tomorrow, hype church, right? Jesus loves boring church. Like Jesus sees a busy woman just making time to just be with him, meditate on his word, listen for his voice, and then to her memory is brought, you know, a widow in the community and she hasn't thought about for a while. God, why is she on, the, on my mind? You know what? I'm just going to reach out and I'm going I'm to call her and I'm going to visit her and I'm going to bring her a meal. And then, and then she goes and she brings her a meal and she doesn't post it on Instagram and Jesus is like, this, I am excited about this, right? That kind of thing is totally invisible to us, but Jesus gets really excited when we are with him and we are with one another, truly present. P- position, prioritize, schedule your life to do these things. Be with Jesus, be one another, be with one another. Otherwise, we will fail to love one another when it gets hard. And, and we may even fall away from faith altogether. We are not above it. It's the name of our sermon today. We are not above it. That's what our text is about today. We are not above serving. We're not above suffering. We're not an, above prioritizing our life for, be, for these two things. So let's read verses 18 and 19 one more time to refresh us. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, 
the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus has turned from love to hate. Love one another, prepare to be hated. Love one another, prepare to be hated. Or another way to say it, as you seek to position your life for love, prepare to encounter a tremendous amount of resistance, both internally and externally. Love one another, prepare to be hated. That's the apprenticeship masterclass so far in a nutshell. He says, the world hates you. Why? He actually gives a lot of reasons throughout John, because I testify that its works are evil. There's a whole bunch of reasons. Here he says, the world hates you because you're chosen. Because you're chosen, that's why the world hates you. Do you remember in Harry Potter, if you've read it or seen the movies, when, uh, in number four, when Harry's name gets chosen out of the Goblet of Fire, and the entire school, even his best friend, turns against him? Why? Because he's the chosen one, right? And they hate that. What makes you better than us, chosen one? That's why we hate LeBron James, hate Bryce Harper. Anyone who gets that label, the chosen one, most people just turn against them, right? I don't like that. You think you're better than me? You think you're special, right? The world hates you because you're chosen. Jesus says, if you were of the world, then the world would love you. Here he uses a different word for love. It's not agape this time. He uses the Greek word phileo, brotherly love friendship love, like Philadelphia, right? Brotherly love, friendship love. He says, listen, if you weren't chosen, you'd be just like everybody else, and you'd fit in just fine. You'd belong. The world would love you like a brother, but they're not your brother. These are your brothers, right? They are not your friend. You are a friend of God. You don't belong to the world. You belong to God. You're chosen. As Jesus' brother James put it, Friendship with the world is enmity, hatred with God. We don't belong. We are chosen. We have, to, we have to start here. We have to linger here. Like, we can nuance it to death later, right? Jesus has overcome the world, and God so loves the world, he gave his only son. But we have to admit, acknowledge, or maybe accept today, to be an apprentice of Jesus, to be a Christian in this world, is to be weird, okay? Can you say it with me? Weird, okay? To be an apprentice of Jesus is to be weird. We have to own it. We have to own our chosenness. We don't have to understand it necessarily, theologically, rationally, but we do have to own it. I am chosen by God. I belong to God. I am a, I'm like a puppy that was adopted by God. I don't know why he adopted this puppy, but I am chosen by God. I've been adopted. I belong to him. That, in the world's ears, is just grating, offensive. Ugh, I don't like it, okay? Even for some of us, we don't like it. We don't like it, you know? So maybe we've gotten to the point where we think the whole thing that we're trying to do is make Christianity more palatable and less weird to the world there's a time for that to be winsome but at the end of the day can we say it again that was fun weird okay we're always gonna be weird you're gonna be grossly misunderstood as a follower of jesus can we can we acknowledge that here's a really big one in 2022 
you're going to be associated with people you find embarrassing. As a Christian, you're going to be associated with people you find embarrassing. People who, in your opinion, remember that, your opinion, okay, you think have missed the whole point of the faith. People who vote in a way you think is demonic. You're associated with them. You would never have chosen them. They're chosen by God, just like you. Love them. Listen, we all got weird uncles, okay? They're family. That's the, that's the whole thing, right? You're going to be associated with people you find embarrassing. I got friends, I swear, it's like they think one day they're going to wake up, they're going to open Twitter, and then no Christian or Christian leader is going to have done anything embarrassing, and they're just going to rest. That's not how it works. Just get off Twitter, you know? Like, we're always going to be associated with people we wouldn't have chosen. Figure it out. Be humble. Hebrews says Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers. So let's call one another brother and sister. We've we got to start here. Got to start here. Let's go to verse 20. Remember the word, Jesus says, that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Little proverb. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours. Same thing that happened to me is going to happen to you. And he goes on and on reiterating this point. What happened to me is going to happen to you. This is only the beginning. Remember we said in the beginning about June 2020. Now imagine it's Jesus speaking about the last three years. He says, oh man, you remember, remember when we moved back to my hometown in Nazareth and they tried to throw me off a cliff? That was crazy. We just, I just like batman through them. Like that was so nuts, you guys. Do you remember back when we were like in uh, Jerusalem and just right over there and, and they all picked up stones to stone me and we barely got out of there? remember that? Man, we've been through some wild things together. Do you remember the sleepless nights and the exhaustion and the hunger and the crowds and the riots? Do you remember that? Do you remember how hard it was to keep this community together for the last three years? I mean, we got fishermen, we got tax collectors, we got zealots that kill tax collectors for a living, and we're trying to love one another. Do you remember that? Oh, geez. Remember the hatred that we experienced and the fear? But do you remember also the love? Like, do you remember... Oh man, like do you remember the people who, who grew in their faith? The people who came to faith? The people whose lives were transformed, whose, who were healed, whose bodies were healed. Do you remember that? It's like he looks at them and he goes, do you realize this was only the beginning? This was only the beginning. This was just Israel. Like you're all, you're all brothers. You're all Israel. And it was hard to love one another. You needed a lot of help for that. I'm sending you to the nations. This agape love, this kingdom love is going to spread beyond Jew, Jew and Gentile. You're going to share a table with Gentiles, right? Like you, it's male and female, slave and free. This thing is going to spread. I'm sending you to the ends of the earth. You're ready, but remember this proverb. Remember this proverb, a servant is not above their master. See, they didn't understand. These 11 men, they didn't understand. They thought it was time for Jesus to get on his throne and rule so they could rest. And in a sense, that's exactly what is going to happen. But they couldn't imagine that Jesus' throne was going to be a cross and that he was going to ascend into heaven and send the Holy Spirit on them and Gentiles. They could not imagine what was in store for them. No way. They could never imagine everything that was about to happen. In fact, explicitly in chapter 16, 
And Jesus is going to say, I got so much to tell you, bros. I have so much to tell you, but you cannot bear it now. You cannot imagine it right now. It's like training my son, Levi. He's almost eight. And I have so much to tell him. Adolescence, adulthood, I have so much to tell him about how hard it's going to be, how hard it's going to get. But the grace of childhood is he can't even imagine it. <laughs> like, he couldn't bear it. You know, it's not my job to try and explain that to him at seven or eight years old. So what do I do? I give him mantras, right? I give him prover proverbs like this one. Every day on the way to school, I say, hey, Levi, what do you do? He says, hard things. I say, yeah, Levi, you do hard things. And what can you do? He says, all things, Dad. I said, yes, you can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens you, son. And what's our job? He says, to love one another. I said, yeah, that's our job. We love because he first loved us. Have a great day, buddy, right? Every single day. Why? Why? He can't, he can't imagine what's coming, but he can hold on to that. He can remember my presence. He can remember my words, right? So that when it gets hard, unimaginably hard, he might not take the easy route and become just like the world and fall away. Or when he does, he might have something solid to come back to. Jesus gives his children, his friends, his disciples, his apprentices, he gives them a proverb, a mantra to remember. A servant is not greater than his master. He repeats this over and over again. You're not above it. Remember the first time he said it in the sermon was when he washed their feet. You're not above this. You're not above getting your hands dirty getting off your high horse, stooping down, washing feet. You're not above it. You're not above it. You're not above suffering. You're not above being hated, persecuted, chased like I was. You are not above it. Yes, you're chosen. You need to hold on to that. You're chosen. You're special to me, but you're not special, right? Like Jesus might say, look, I'm the ultimate chosen one. If anyone's ever been special, it's me, but I'm not here to like relish in my specialness and be served as the special one. No, what's he here to do? He's here to serve and to suffer and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the example. That's the pattern that we follow. And I want you to remember this proverb and remember that I said this to you, so that why you will not fall away. So that you will not fall away. BCC, can we say one more thing together this morning? We're not above it. We're not above it. We're not above it. I'm about as privileged a human being as you will find on planet Earth, okay? I'm a 90s Pleasanton boy, all right? And I'm not above it. I'm not above my life being patterned and shaped after the service and suffering of my master, Jesus Christ. We're 2,000 years removed from these 11 men, and we are not above it. We are Americans sitting in a comfortable sanctuary this morning, and we are not above our lives being patterned after the service and suffering of our master, Jesus. We are not above him. We are not above it. So let's uh, skip ahead a little bit and then we'll come back. Uh, chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Because you may have a similar pushback that I have. I'm going to give you a glimpse into Dane brain, okay? As I was wrestling with this message, like literally he gave it to me, I'm like, you're going to be hated and persecuted. I don't want this one. <laughs> that was my, you know, um, it's God's choice. Um, so my pushback as I read this Chapter 16, 1 through 4. I'm like, okay, Jesus. You are specifically talking about persecution. And you're talking to 11 men that these things literally happened to. Okay? Like, go read the book of Acts. 
Like these 11 men were literally excommunicated from the synagogues. They were literally killed by people who literally thought they were offering service to God by killing them. Like that's heavy. And like this still happens in places around the world, right? I know that, Jesus. But I'm here in America. I mean, we, we have issues for sure. People are losing their jobs for the faith. Things like that are happening for sure. But like we got a lot of rich and powerful Christians, you know? And like we've kind of even found a way to like appropriate the experience of persecution by putting not of this world bumper stickers on our cars. You know what I mean? <laughs> like we've made persecution cute and marketable, right? Like we're weird. This is weird. Do, do, do we need this word? And I want you to see, like, we might be in even greater danger. See, the devil knows better than we do. What does overt persecution typically tend to do? Make faith spread faster. Okay, like, like, read the book of Acts. They didn't have a plan. They were just gathering together trying to be, pray and be faithful to Jesus, and they got persecuted, and faith just spread throughout the empire, right? Like, you know, killing a Christian is like blowing on the head of a dandelion, you know, it's like seeds everywhere, okay? The devil has read the book of Acts and shudders, okay? He does not like that book. He doesn't want to repeat that same game plan, okay? So the devil probably thinks, if I could directly persecute the church through nursing their addiction to a little device in their pocket through which the fog of hatred streams into our hearts and minds every day and plants little tiny seeds of contempt for one another that suffocates the love of God and slowly divides the church of God and makes us just like the world except with better marketing or worse marketing. That's a great strategy. Maybe I'll try that. We are not above it. We are drowning in it. And we don't even know it. The world's hate, you know, we, we have hate in here still. We have hate in here. We have hate in our hearts. Maybe the reason the world doesn't hate us is because there's plenty of hate inside us and removes the threat. It's a complex, confusing time we live in, isn't it? One of my favorite scenes in uh, The Lord of the Rings, um, I was just geeking out about Tolkien uh, with Nolan here this morning, so this is fun. Uh, Tolkien's coming up a lot. J.R. Tolkien wrote The Lord of the Rings, which after scripture is my favorite book for making sense of the world that God has placed me in. The, the main character, Frodo, he's a hobbit. If you don't know what that is, you don't have to, it's fine. Uh, Frodo, uh, he's the main character, and he despairs of the time that he lives in and the task that's before him. He despairs of the time that he lives in and the task that is before him. And, he, and he's talking with his wise mentor, Gandalf, and he says, you know, when he thinks of his uncle Bilbo's adventures with a dragon and treasure. He didn't live through that, and so it seems really romantic. It seems simple. It seems clear who the good guys are and who the bad guys are, and the happy ending seems so secure. And he thinks of his own time, and it feels very different than that, and he says to Gandalf, I wish I lived in a different time and that the ring had never come to me. And his wise mentor says to him, so do all who live to see such times but that is not for them to decide. All we have to do is decide what to do with the time that is given us. 
when we look back on history or even read the scriptures, it can seem like even, even if there's terrible persecution, somehow not having lived through it of our, ourselves, we imagine it was clear, somehow easier, somehow simpler, good and evil and such things. But it was not. It was terribly complex to live in the first century. The New Testament was not written, right? It gets written, it gets organized into a narrative later. We live in a terribly complex time, but I want to make it simple. All we have to do is decide whether we are going to prioritize being with Jesus and being with one another through the hardest times, or if we're going to decide we're above the risk of falling away. The risk of preaching to the choir, you know. Have you said or thought something like, I don't need to attend church or be in a comm group or serve? I've been a Christian since eighth grade. I'll be fine. (laughs) We are not made for a long-distance relationship with one another. We're not. Without humanizing interactions with each other, love grows cold, assumptions grow, and you just avoid working through the hard stuff that comes with actually knowing one another, the stuff that actually leads to real compelling maturity and unity in the church. Two more verses. Two more verses. Here's where the really good news comes in. Going back up to verses 26 and 27 of chapter 15, Jesus says, when the helper comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me. We're going to talk about this next week. And then he says to his 11, and you also will bear witness. You will bear witness to what my Spirit is doing. You will bear witness because, why? You have been with me from the beginning. It's going to be up to you now to tell my story. You've been with me from the beginning. You're going to proclaim the kingdom now. You're going to tell my story now because you were there. You are eyewitnesses. You're going to bear witness. Jesus says hard times are coming, but it's only the beginning. Hard times are coming, but it's only the beginning. The good news is, though, not only are hard times coming, but the helper is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming, and you will receive power. And not only will you not fall away, but you will be faithful witnesses You will be my witnesses. You will testify. You will tell my story. If you are not above it, right, if you stay close with me and you stay close with one another, you faithfully serve and suffer with me through whatever comes, I got this. And you have a powerful story to tell. You ever go through a hard hard thing and you're like, well, at least this will be a great story later, (laughs) you know? It's kind of like that, right? You're gonna have a powerful story to tell, except it's even better. It's even deeper. Where do we get our word martyr? From the Greek word witness right here, right? Jesus is saying to these men, listen, it's, a, it's been appointed to you to die for this thing. You're going to die for me. You're literally going to suffer and die for me. But you know what's going to happen? Your death is going to be what my spirit uses to convict hearts. Your suffering will bring people to eternal salvation. Your sacrifices, your suffering will be worth it. It will not be wasted because of you, the way that you love one another, the way that you serve, the way that you respond to people that hate you with blessing, with love, it's going to cause haters of God to glorify 
God. You will bear fruit for eternity because I got this and I'm with you through my Holy Spirit. I'm not leaving you as orphans. BCC, can we hear this message this morning? Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us. This is not a bad news sermon. It's not a bad news sermon. Buckle up. World's going to get you. You watch out, you know. That's not the sermon. That's the last line of the sermon. In this world, yes, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Or as John writes, this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our votes. No, that's not what he says. This is the victory that overcomes the world. 1 John 5, 4, our faith. Our faith. Our faith is the victory. Our faith, patterned after the serving and suffering of our master, is stronger than the world's hate. The sanity of quiet faith will win out over the loud insanity of the world's hate in the end. The Lord will fight for you. All you have to do is be silent. The Lord says to Moses and to us, all we have to do is abide like a branch in the vine. Last word here, be with Jesus, be with one another. Let the world do its thing and the Holy Spirit will do his thing in our midst. Let the world do its thing and the Holy Spirit will do his thing in our midst. And many, just like myself, will come to faith right here in this community. Many will come to faith in Jesus. BCC, you will bear fruit for eternity. Is that good news this morning? We're going to bear fruit for eternity. Let's go. Let's go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your good promises in your scripture, for your proverbs that you give us like a servant is not greater than his master, that you didn't leave us, Father, as orphans, that you didn't leave us with no memory of your words, but you left us with your word and you gave us your spirit that we might faithfully bear witness in our community. God, help us to leave here this morning encouraged, built up in our most holy faith, reminded of our, our one simple job to prioritize time with you and time with one another, trusting that fruit will come as we trust you. So God, would the rest of our time together in our worship bring, uh, bring joy to your heart. In Jesus' name, amen.